Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your host, Sam Austria, alongside Bed Nixon. We're a day late here. Uh, we're recording on a Wednesday night, and we're putting this out on Thursday morning uh, for all the usual Wednesday listeners out there. But there was three games this past week, so we wanted to make sure all those three games could sit, that we, everyone could digest Maryland men's basketball's three-game home stretch. And now we have a lot to get to. Um, first, Ben, how are you? Doing well, Sam. Uh, obviously, a lot to talk about here. A lot of good things to talk about. I'm expecting a pretty positive tone to this episode, given the way the team has played as of late and what we expect moving forward. So excited to dive into it all right now. Yeah, I think like since you know one eight zero and the expectations for this team completely shifted, and then they really struggle, blown out uh, against UCLA, close loss to Tennessee, but then blown out against UCLA at home, the Michigan loss. The Rutgers loss, um, and you kind of like this team might not make the tournament. This team may just be on the bubble the rest of the season. And with this past home stretch, where they beat Wisconsin, they beat Nebraska, then they beat Indiana on Tuesday night by a combined score of forty-eight points. You know, there's some pretty resounding wins over there. We weren't just they didn't squeeze by some of those teams. And obviously, Nebraska is really bad. Wisconsin may not even be in the tournament at this point, but still a, a huge win over a ranked at that point Indiana team. Um, when they played this past Tuesday, I don't think there's a question. Maryland men's basketball, unless there's an epic unforeseen collapse down the stretch against really easy teams, Maryland men's basketball is going to be an NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, look, you got to you got to sweep Minnesota and win that game at Nebraska. If you lose that, it's only a, a quad two loss likely. But let's just take a look at where they stand right now. As it's been all year, you know, there's been a couple blowouts here and there. And, and you know, Kevin Willard mentioned even that Michigan game on New Year's Day, that was kind of on him. Once the game got out of hand, they were just going to lose by 40. They weren't going to show him anything because they played him for a second time. And we broke that down a couple weeks ago and, and or last week, excuse me. And that obviously worked out for them. But look, no bad losses. They're 9-0 and in the lower two quadrants. That's going to be one thing to look at. Quad one, four and six. Quad two, two and one. That's a combined record of six and seven in the first two quadrants. You've done enough from a net standpoint, from a computer standpoint, from an eye test standpoint, in my opinion, to be a tournament team. They're 31 in the net right now, 31 in Kempom. Um, and look, they're they're taking care of home court with the exception of that UCLA dud, you know, which will be by the time Selection Sunday comes, it'll be more than four and a half months since that game um, or three and a half months since that game, excuse me. Um, but they have held serve at home and they've done it emphatically. That Indiana team, you know, we've talked about them being up and down or whatever it is. As of yesterday, that team was coming in around a five game win streak. That was a really good team in Maryland with their defensive game plan for the last yeah. 30 minutes or so made made Indiana look like a really yeah. pedestrian squad. It, it was a great effort. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely break down in the Indiana game and a little bit Nebraska and Wisconsin, really the entire three game stretch. But, you know, it. I just think it's the first time like really since the, that ugly Michigan loss where it's like. He, they were mostly in, and most bracketologists, they were mostly in on the right side of the bubble, but really on the bubble. Like I don't really see how this Maryland team is on the bubble anymore. I mean, they're 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 six in top, they're in sixth place right now in the Big Ten, but they're they're tied with a bunch of other teams um, at six and five. And it's the Big Ten is so cluttered. There's a bunch of other than Purdue, every team is really like one or two games um, behind each other in terms of like the two through eleven seeds. And there's probably going to be eight or nine teams from the Big Ten selected. So I don't see a scenario where. Maryland's not in the tournament, but you're right. They do have to win a couple on the road. I mean, you can't go defeated on the road in the conference, but I don't see that being a problem at all because their next game is at Minnesota. They're going to be at Nebraska. They're going to be at Penn State. 
all teams, although Penn State's having a good year and they'll probably be in the tournament too. Those are all teams that are in the bottom half of the conference and, and Nebraska's horrible, Minnesota's horrible. So they're going to get a couple road wins for sure this year. Um, and like you said, continue to take care of home court. The, the, the formula's there to make the tournament and it's a pretty easy path at this point. And it looks like when you when you go back to November before the season started, when nobody thought this team uh, would make the tournament, and then expectations sh- shifted after an eight no start, but this team was finished tenth or picked to finish tenth by all the experts in the Big Ten. That's where they're projected to finish tenth in the conference, and they're going to be a tournament team. It's 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 when you kind of look at the macro picture, and we're going to go micro in a second. We're going to analyze all these games, but when you look at the macro picture, and maybe I'm getting way too ahead of myself, and people are going to be upset. They're going to they might rally off a, a five game losing streak, but I mean. They have a very easy path moving forward, and I don't see any scenario where they're not dancing in March. Right. Look, I mean, you read these bubble watch articles that different um, outlets put out, um, and The Athletic put out their first one the other day. Um, Maryland was in that work-to-do section. I think they'll probably still, quote-unquote, be in that work-to-do section. But, look, this team's in a position to get anywhere from – an eight to a 10 seed, as long as they win the games they're supposed to, and they avoid hiccups, which, you know, now there's what there are nine games left. Ken Palm's projecting them to go 11 and nine in conference play. There's a chance they, they can, um they can hiccup here or there, but it, it's, I don't know. It, it's looking good right now, Sam. And like you said, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to make any crazy claims here, but there are games in the schedule, which if they lose, people are going to be like, okay, if they win, People are going to be like, okay, we expect them to win. And I think even with that, Purdue's coming to College Park. I don't think people are expecting them to win that game. We'll obviously talk about that as it gets closer. But if the Terps win that one, the outlook on the season changes there. Um, they played in close in West, West Lafayette. I don't know. There, there's a lot to break down, and, and we'll get into it as it gets closer. Obviously, today, February 1, we're recording. But it, it, it looks good right now, uh, no doubt. Nine games left. This team has done enough. Um, especially in the non-conference, given the strength of schedule and how they played on, on neutral floors against uh, St. Louis and Miami. Um, they, they've done a good job. They've held serve at home, which they really needed to. That home court advantage has been a monster so far this year. Um, and things things are just going right. I think the panic that we talked about when in mid-January when things weren't going too well and they weren't competitive on the road – um, yes, Kevin Willard said it was a, a product of how the schedule, you know, dictates how you play. Um, of course, more or less that I think the team just was going through a little bit of a rut too. I think they're back on track. They're playing winning basketball. They're, they're using that formula to get to, um, to how they started eight. No. And this team is in very good position right now. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. There's a bunch of things there. I mean, like that, that stretch and that Michigan Rucker stretch where, and really even UCLA part of that was Julian Reese, which I think we discounted. Like Willard kept telling us that he was injured in those games and you know he was playing a little bit. He sat um one of them obviously got hurt in the in the fir- in the second half or in the first half against UCLA and sat the second half. But Willard was telling us like he's not a hundred percent. And now with the, the the play that we're seeing from him, the physicalness, the aggressiveness, how he's competing with some of the best bigs in the conference and really in the entire country, I think he probably was hurt. And more than he was letting on, but Willard was telling us he was like, he's hurt. Like he's, he was playing hurt at that moment. And, and that's why kind of their struggles a little bit. Jameer Young went through a little rut to start Big Ten play. He's gotten, and we'll talk about him, but he's gotten way more comfortable um, playing himself into maybe all first all first team in the Big Ten. Um, but first, I mean, we're going to talk about uh, the future and the schedule and taking care of, of, of road games. But let's talk about the Indiana game because that's the most recent game. 
a really weird game. Like you said, Indiana coming in on a five-game win streak after really struggling to start the season. This was a team that was, based on their talent, was projected to be a top-10 team in the country coming into the preseason. Really struggled for most for the first couple months of the season, but was playing good basketball on a five-game win streak. Um, Race Thompson had just came back a couple games ago, back in the starting lineup. He's one of he's probably the second or third best player. But this Indiana team came in to a home court for Maryland that's one of the best in the entire conference, probably one of the best in the country, and they're proving it. They're eleven and one now at home, six and zero in the conference, um, in conference play at home. But Maryland shot the ball really poorly. Maryland shot the ball twenty three percent from three, so score sixty six points against Indiana while shooting. 23% from three is pretty remarkable. And and I like couldn't really wrap my head around it in like in the moment of how they were, how they were able to do that. But we'll talk and we'll talk about the defense because that was their defensive game plan was brilliant. But what did you kind of see from the offense that, that was, that it was able to operate while still, even though it shot the ball really poorly. Yeah, I mean, like you just said, it wasn't even 66 points against Indiana while shooting 26.67 or 22.7% from three, excuse me. They won by double digits shooting 22% from three. They were they were five for 22. I think offensively what we saw, especially in the early going, um, was Mike Woodson's plan, Indiana's plan was, look, Maryland is not a good three-point shooting team, and we've talked about it every week. We know that right now. I think Maryland ranks, what, somewhere in the 300s in the country in three-point percentage? Yeah, second to uh, worst three, in the Big Ten. 323rd in Division One. And there's only 363 teams. So Maryland is a bad three-point shooting team. I think yeah. any conversation about that can go out the window, like we say every week at, on this podcast at this point. So I think early on, we saw Indiana begging Maryland to shoot threes, which they did. Maryland didn't capitalize. It's made their first one, I think, what, missed 10 in a row after that, nine in a row after that. Um, and then I think we saw some adjustments after that, um, especially in the second half. Dante Scott going to the hoop. Juju taking at taking it at Trace Jackson Davis, excuse me, um, even Hakeem getting involved inside. Um, I thought Ian Martinez played another solid game off the bench. Patrick Emelian, his impact, I mean, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I I think offensively, we saw a little bit of a difference in game plan from Indiana begging Maryland to shoot threes, which they shot 15 of them in the first half, and Maryland only shot seven threes in the second half. We've talked about that recipe. I'm, I'm writing about it in a piece right now that will be on the site soon about that recipe of three-point shot selection compared to field goal shot selection as a whole. When Maryland takes too many threes, it's not going to work out because they're a good three-point – because they're not a good three-point shooting team, excuse me. Um, and that's pretty clear at this point, and I think that recipe is now pretty clear as well. Yeah, and, and you know, I feel like we've been on this this wave earlier than most. About, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I think we were, we were on this – I think a couple months ago about how Maryland is really just not a good three point shooting team. And the recipe for success for their offense is limiting their three point attempts and attacking the basket. And when I asked Willard about that last week, like, you know, do you emphasize limit limiting the three point attempts and kind of trying to get downhill? He was, he kind of joked and he was like, no, but I probably should. And like, he, he wants to make sure. And he made his along with Polly joke, a great movie um, that everyone should watch. But he kind of said like, like, I don't want to, my guys to lose confidence, so I keep encouraging them to shoot threes, even though they're a really bad three-point shooting team. But what you saw against Wisconsin and Nebraska is they shot 43% against Wisconsin. They shot 35% against Nebraska, and I think they kind of got a little more confidence playing at home shooting threes. And then you saw an over-reliance, over-reliance on threes 
against Indiana. Like you said, they shot 15 in the first half, and then they kind of calmed down a little bit, chucking threes, and they were bad looks. You know, it's one thing to, to drive in the lane, have the defense converge and kick out for an open three. Some of those three balls were just rushed, bad looks early in the shot clock um, against Indiana. And then they only shot seven in the second half, so they made that adjustment. And that's just been the key for Maryland all year, is when their offense is flourishing, whether it's on the home, whether it's at home, whether it's on the road, they're getting in the paint. They're driving downhill. They're playing pick and roll with Jameer Young. Jameer either hits Julian on the on the roll or uh, Jameer gets downhill himself. They love doing three different dribble handoffs for Jameer to get it, usually going to his right, but he can really go to his right and left for uh, Julian to pop up. They love that little action for Julian to pop up to the top of the key and run a pick and roll from there while you get the defense moving. And it works. It's pretty effective. But that's when they're at their best, not when they're shooting threes, when they're shooting quality looks, but limiting them. And you saw that in the second, second half against Indiana. But it's it's really, the Indiana game was so interesting because they shot so poorly from three and still managed to score 66 points. And really the key for me is um, Jameer Young. Like, he's been so exceptional. He's by far the best player on this team. He's mm-hmm. by far the MVP of on this team. And it's, it's really like a shame that he hasn't been playing high major ball for the last couple of years, because there was no adjustment. I mean, I said he struggled early a little bit against Michigan, against Rutgers, but there really was no adjustment for him to get into Big Ten play and and look. And, you know, you kind of saw that with Fats Russell last year with his size coming over from a mid-major conference, coming into Big Ten play. He started dominating as the year went on, but he struggled with the physicality early. Jameer Young has not struggled with that at all. He has been exceptional, breaking shoulders with every defender, getting to the rim, finishing through contact. He's not a phenomenal three-point shooter, but he can certainly knock it down. He can weave. He, you know, when he's coming off those screens, sometimes he takes the screen, sometimes he rejects it, sometimes he can weave through defenders. He's been so fun to watch, but also just like I, th- I don't think anyone, I don't even think Willard, it, when he recruited him, expected that he would be the guard that he was. Because if people did, Maryland, everyone would have projected Maryland to finish way better. That that's been the biggest pleasant surprise for this team is how efficient effective and how amazing uh Jameer Young has been because it's not just as a score he he's in there for every single rebound on especially defensively but offensively too he's a great passer he's unselfish he's a good leader like you really can't say enough about this guy because he's become he is a fan favorite but he's and we'll see if he sticks around next year too but he's becoming one of those Maryland point guards and he, he would have to be here for way more years but he has been phenomenal yeah, it is. It's he's also like Mr. Bailout too. Like there's so many times where the shot clock is winding down and either make a play, draw a foul or with 5 seconds left somehow get by the defender and get to the bucket for either a finish or a foul. Like you say breaking shoulders with every defender. His quickness, his his ability to get to the rim as a little guy. Like he is he is 6 foot 2, 185 pounds. And the physicality, like you said, Sam, early on in Big Ten play, it seemed to be a little bit of an issue. That is completely out the window. He's completely adjusted at home. I, I wrote about it. We've talked about it. He's been – Jameer Young at home in Big Ten games has been up there with any player in the entire country, and that's not even debatable, by the way. Um, his He is imperative to this team's success. The way he's able – like you said, not only his scoring ability, we talk about every week how he's one of the best rebounding guards we've seen. He's literally in on every rebound defensively. Um, I don't want to beat a dead horse and kind of repeat everything you said because you kind of nailed it. Um, only one assist uh, against Indiana yesterday, but what did he have, seven against uh, either Wisconsin or Nebraska? He has proven in every facet of the game 
this guy, it, it's it's unbelievable. It really is hard to imagine that he was not playing not only at a high major level, but in a Maryland uniform these past three years because the local kid from DeMatha is is truly making the most of his opportunity here. Yeah, and part of it is he's had to do so much because his backcourt partner has really struggled in Don Carey. Um, you know, he's just he had a four four day against Nebraska and kind of a blowout against Nebraska, and that was encouraging to see. But he just has continued to struggle shooting the ball, and he really can't do much offensively other than than shoot from long range. You know, he's not gonna be he's not someone who takes it downhill or drives. He'll occasionally shoot the one dribble pull up, but he's really not taking it downhill a lot. Um, so so he's so he, it's really Jameer's had to do more because of um because of the backcourt partner that that he's had or he's let him down. Yeah, it's it it absolutely just the it, and I asked him before the season on on preseason media day and I, I kind of feel silly about asking now about look, you were this high volume unbelievable player at Charlotte, like how do you feel you're going to be able to translate to this high major level, able to make an impact, you know, with clearly your volume's going to be decreased, you're playing with a bunch of other talented guards. Um there's just more talent than you played with at Charlotte and it almost seems like a stupid question at this point because he's by far the best player on the team. He's his volume. Yes. Like I think it's taken a little bit of a step back. Yeah. He took 5.33s per game in each of the last two years, only 4.1 this year um, and five twos per game last year, 4.3 this year. So a little bit of a, a step back in volume uh, more just on the three point shooting um, part there. But uh, this guy has just been so, so important to the, to the team's success. And it's, like you said, like I said, like you probably said, Kevin Willard pictured um, his success. It felt unimaginable at the beginning of the season, but he's just totally indispensable. Right now, he ranks number four on the uh, Big Ten Conference all Kempom team. So if the season ended today, he'd probably be an all Big Ten first team player. Yeah, I think he deserves it. Let me, let me read you some synergy um, stats real quick, because a lot of like I talked about, a lot of his have been coming the pick and roll and Julian Reese deserves a lot of credit for that too and you know Willard kind of talked about the pick and roll and how effective it's been and he said it wasn't really um the guards fault ever in the beginning it was kind of like Julian Reese's fault uh where he he had to he had to get into his own in terms of getting in the right spot setting good screens being in the right positions for the role but you've seen these two guys work incredibly well together in the pick and roll in Jameer Young and Julian Reese and that's where a lot of um Jameer Young's buckets come from I mean 36 percent of his of his play types are is pick and roll ball handler that's more than any other play that he runs the next up is 17.5 percent um of his play types are, are spot up shots and he's he's ranking in the 72 percentile which is considered very good by synergy um in terms of pick and roll ball handling plays uh, so that's where, and it's most, and 77% of his pick and rolls are as the high pick and roll, not on a right or left, um, right or left side of the floor. It's as a high pick and roll where he's really kind of in one of the slots or near the top of the key. And that's a lot of times after some of those dribble handoff actions, uh, like I talked about. But so, so that's where he's getting his buckets from. And it's been so impressive. And like when I just go through his number, numbers here, like as a, as a, um, as a post player finishing at the rim, he ranks incredibly well. Or he thinks he ranks very good finishing at the rim, according to Syn- Synergy. He's just been incredibly impressive all around, um, and you really can't say enough about him. No doubt, and you know, we, I don't want to get into him even more than this. I, I love those Synergy stats. Um, I think it's good for the listeners, good for me to hear as well because I don't even have access to that. But uh, you, you're you're Mister Plugged In over there, so uh, you got you got, synergy, you got yeah, you got I, the- I spend the ten k. Exactly. You got the advanced analytics there, but also just real quick, some, some Ken Palm stats for uh, 
Jabir Young, he's third in the conference in usage rate, and he's third in the conference in terms of percentage of shots taken on his team. Um, he's doing it at a high volume, like I said. Um, and with that earlier question I just referenced, it's it's truly amazing what he's been able to do. So uh, a well-deserved, yeah. lengthy segment on Jameer Young. Yeah, I mean, he, he deserved that, and like we, we we had to do that. But I was talking about – we were talking about this Indiana game before that. Um, what, what Maryland deserves more credit for, and we, we started with the offense, but the lead really was the defense. Maryland's defensive game plan against bigs in this conference has been so impressive. I mean, we knew this group was undersized. We knew Julian Reese wasn't the type of player that Hunter Dickinson is, that Trace Jake Jackson Davis is, um, that Zach Eady is, that um, Crowell is, uh, Stephen Crowell is for Wisconsin. And these are the guys that Maryland has to face night in and night out in this conference. And that's why we're so worried about the prospects of this team, because they don't have a big, they're an undersized group. We saw them earlier this season get dominated in, in some rebounding battles, and but that hasn't been an issue. Maryland's game plan against these guys has been so impressive. And here's a, here's the thing with a lot of these Big Ten teams. There are a lot of show. Um, Zach Eady, the plan. We talked about it before the game. They executed it pretty well, actually. Was you're gonna you're gonna double Zach Eady and you're gonna make everyone else beat you. And and if everyone else can beat you, then you're fine living with that. No one else on Purdue in that game scored double digit figures. Zach Eady had a good game. He had twenty and, and a good game for him considering all things considered, but he had 24 and 16, which would be a phenomenal game for anyone else, but it's Zach Eady. He's going to win national player of the year, but Maryland did a good job of limiting him. Trace Jackson Davis the other night, he had, he finished with 18 points. The only average is just under 20. So it doesn't, and he had 20 rebounds. So it doesn't look like remarkable numbers, but he was seven for 13 from the field. He usually shoots better than that um, from the field because he's not taking, he hasn't taken three all season. Most of his shots are near the rim. Maryland's defensive game plan against him was phenomenal. It starts with Julian Reese, and, and Kevin Willard after the game gave Julian a lot of credit for how he's handled these battles in one-on-one situations. But how Maryland beat Trace Jackson Davis is they never let him get in one-on-one situations. Yes, it starts with Julian Reese. It starts with the positioning of where uh, Trace Jackson Davis is getting his post touches in the mid post, and the low post, low block, wherever it is. It starts with the positioning of Julian Reese, but Maryland's other guys did a great job of immediately doubling almost every time he told the uh, caught the ball. And it wasn't just Trace Jackson Davis. A lot of times Reese Thompson was touching the ball in these low post situations and Maryland would, and Maryland would double two. And they were like, okay, let's make Indiana beat us from three. They shot three for 11 from three for 27%, which wasn't better than Maryland, but that's a pretty bad three point percentage too. Um, They were going to say, okay, let everyone else kind of beat us. Like I said earlier, Reese Thompson's the only other guy who had double figures. He finished with 11. Everyone else finished under, um, double figures. So so that formula for success against some really athletic, good, tall, just physically dominant bigs, Maryland's game plans have been so good. And let's not forget about Hunter Dickinson. They did the same thing. Starts with Julian Reese, but it's every other guy being on 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 top of the game plan to know when to double, where to double from, make everyone else beat you. And that requires a lot of rotations when you're doubling. Maryland's defense intensity, defensive game plans, Julian Reese's effort, it's it, that's been the formula why they've been able to go on on this nice stretch here, but it's been really impressive. Yeah, and we talked about it last night um, individually. Um, you know about what Maryland did with Hunter Dickinson in that first game on January first against Michigan, where there were no double teams and they didn't really have the book on him. And I think in a way it was sort of a wake up call for Willard uh, and Maryland with life in the Big Ten. And ever since these 
game plans for big dominant teams have been dominant. Like you said, like Trace Jackson Davis, 18 and 20 last night, but didn't really get going until late. Um, he was effective, but not dominant held under season average and points. Um, same can be said for Zach Eady, um, Hunter Dickinson, the second time, especially, I mean, he only had, he had 19 points, but three of them were on three. So, um, the team got what, got what they wanted and we have to give Juju credit, um, for his individual defense and the way he's stepped up in physicality. And I, I think it's also mentally, he's, he's more ready for the moment as well, confidence wise. Um, but it's also team defense, you know, it, Maryland's been so quick to send doubles, so quick to force these guys into errant decisions. Like Trish Jackson Davis last night threw a pass to no one. Um, I think my favorite play of the game last night with Trace Jackson Davis is when he missed one layup, got the rebound, missed another, got the rebound. He was just so frustrated with it that he frustrated with the defense that he finally just slammed the ball home. And yes, like that wasn't the result that Maryland wanted, giving up second and third chances, but it was kind of it kind of just epitomized how Maryland has grown against dominant bigs where nothing comes easy. Yeah, and, and a lot of that too is you know you give the biggest credit when they they hold their own against other dominant bigs. But a lot of that is the is the guard play too. When you're putting pressure on opposing guards on the perimeter, it's tougher to deliver those passes. And Jameer Young as a defender deserves a ton of credit. Don Carey, even though he struggled offensively, deserves credit. Hakeem Hart, we know the great perimeter defender he is. And even Ian Martinez has come in and give you know he's give a little inconsistent minutes at times, but he's for the most part been pretty good defensively. I mean, Jalen Hood shot one for fourteen from the field yesterday and finished with three points one for 14 from the field like it was Mar- terrible that's was- a bad day on his part but maryland deserves a lot of credit for putting pressure on him and then that's maryland's defense as a whole but it starts with the guard play and it, and it goes down to julian reese um on the block too no doubt and um kind of just want to bring this up here that while we're on the topic i think one of hood Shafino's shots um was blocked by patrick million and and he was just kind of like surprised. It was just such a casual block. Um, but I think I think for talk about indispensable players, Patrick Amelian, what he's provided to this team. Yep. I mean, Willard mentioned it in the post game last night. If you look at the games where he's been fully healthy, they've won. If you look at the games where he didn't play or he was a little banged up, they lost in, in recent stretches in Big Ten play. Um, so I think now he's fully recovered from that sprained ankle. Some of these plays he's making, like last night, that offensive rebound kick out to Jameer Young for wide open yeah. three at the top of the key, huge play. The block on Hood Shafino, um, another huge play. Um, got to the free throw line a couple times, was two for four. Um, you know, I, th- I think you'll take that from him at the line. It's it's just like the rotation's down to seven at this point. I think Jahari Long's kind of getting the, the short end of the stick here between, you know, Martinez and a million being above him. I think between a million and Martinez, the bench minutes have been indispensable. I mean, I don't want to use that word too many times, but it, it's when we came into the season, we were like, what is the depth on this team? Who is going to provide answers? Bunch of nobodies or Ian Martinez, who was really not that good last year. Um, they've really answered the bell and have, have stepped up big time uh, a million in the front court. And then uh, Martinez is a backup guard. Yeah. I mean, this time of year, you really do just, you kind of cut, um, you cut your bench. Like a lot of rotations around the country are seven, maybe eight guys. Maryland and Willard have kind of gone with seven. Like you said, Jahari Long only played three minutes. And and that's because you're playing like you're starting guard so much. Like Akeem Hart has played almost 40 minutes for a lot of games. He has 38 against Indiana. Jahari, I mean, excuse me, Jameer Young played 37 minutes out of 40 against um against Indiana. Like even in these blowouts against Wisconsin, Nebraska, uh, Jameer, Jameer Young played 37 minutes in an 18-point win against Wisconsin the other night. 
Like they're playing so many minutes and, and they don't appear to be getting tired because here's the thing about it. They're pressing. They're pressing the almost the entire game, especially against Indiana. They didn't do it as much against Wisconsin and Nebraska, but they were pressing pretty much the entire game against Indiana. So the, that just shows you how phenomenal of shape these guys are in, where Jameer Young is at the top of that press. So he has to do the most running and the most movement, presumably, um, as, as a guy in that press. And he's the one who has the ball in his hands all, offensively all the time. And he's practically playing the entire game. Same with Akeem Hart. Dante Scott's playing huge minutes. Um, Don Carey's not playing near as much. Drew and Reese, they try to play. They like to play above 30 minutes a game. Sometimes it doesn't work out if he's in foul trouble. But like you said, Patrick, it's it's good that you gave Patrick Chameleon a shout-out because Willard certainly does after every game. But he, he he's invaluable in terms of the the, in, the nuances that he that he provides on a basketball court. Like He won't fill the stat sheet ever. Like ten, He had two 10-point games this year. He's probably never going to get more than that in his career. But he does so many little things that are so important to the team. Even like the offensive rebound you, you said, that's providing an extra possession. Like defensively, just having being a strong post presence doesn't have to be a block. Just being someone that can hold his own on the block against other good bigs. That's huge. Like everything he provides is is really remarkable and they need it because this bench is thin and and it's it's I guess it's worked out for Willard so far this year that it's thin. But you know, if 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 a million and, and Reese are playing kind of if a million is playing as Reese's backup when Reese gets into foul trouble. That, that's a good recipe. But other than that, there's not a lot of options to go to on the bench. And these guys need to be playing 37, 38 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk ab- about these minutes and, and plus minus while we're on it. Ian Martinez, even though he had four fouls, I mean, because that, that limited his playing time a little bit. Highest plus minus on the team. Yeah, I mean, plus, let me just say plus, plus minus. Plus it's, minus, a little bit of fraudulent stat. Yeah. I don't like to look at it, but. Definitely, but I I think for when I was just going to bring up Martinez in a million, the fact that you can feel that when those two guys are on the court, mm-hmm. there are positive contributions happening. And for Martinez to have the highest total on the team and for Patrick Million to be a plus eight in 13 minutes, it kind of just goes to prove, you know, like you said, not always perfect, but the ability for those guys to have an impact outside of the box score and just, you know, meshing with the lineups really well and, yeah, and- being being that energy ball or uh, and your energy bunny off the bench is uh, is big time. And Ian Martinez has been struggling a little bit the last few games, but he played really well against Indiana, and he seems to play well when they need it. And when they need it is when Don Carey is struggling offensively. Like, Don provided almost nothing um, against Indiana offensively. He was he was pretty solid defensively, but he, he couldn't make a shot. You know, he just, other when he's not shooting the ball well from deep, he's still a threat out there, but he's just he's just not the offensive player that you kind of expect him to be. And so that's why it's important for Ian Martinez to come in. And, and they almost split minutes. Like Ian Martinez played 20 minutes. Don Carey played 22 minutes. So Don's going to be the starter moving forward. Like he has been all season pretty much. But it's really important when he's struggling, when he's not going early, that Ian Martinez can come in and fill that void. And, you know, we saw him. He had a three. Yeah, he had a three against um Indiana. Seven points, four rebounds. He had four fouls, but he still played good defense. He probably would have played more minutes if he didn't have those four fouls. But that's really important minutes that Maryland's going to need. Because if, he, if he's coming in and struggling while Don Carey's struggling, this team could be in trouble against certain teams. Yeah, I'm interested to see if, if push comes to shove it at one point or another with that uh, Martinez carry debacle. Just Martinez or carry being, yeah, he had, he had a really good game against Nebraska, but a, another tough one against Indiana last night. He's, he's just having a down year. Um, and Ian Martinez, you know, Willard experimented with 
uh, Carry coming off the bench for a couple games. I wonder if maybe he goes back to that. I know things are working right now. He probably won't tinker with it, but I I think I think it's too late. Yeah, I I think so too. But I think even if Carry still starts, I think Ian Martinez has proved he can take some of those minutes. Oh, too. definitely. I I don't I don't think the answer is to start Ian Martinez over Don. I think the answer is to kind of play them those split minutes when if Ian Martinez is coming off the bench and playing well because. You know, you kind of like if you benched him and tried having him get in a rhythm coming off the bench, if you bench him again, you, you're kind of showing that you lost confidence in him. And Willard's really shown all year that he will not lose confidence in Don no. Carey. He he believes in him and he knows that sh- that stretch is coming. I mean, you saw it when he drew up a play, a, a really well-designed play, but he drew, drew it up for Don Carey against Purdue, who shot one for six against Purdue from three. So like that's, that's all the confidence that you need to know that that Willard has in Don Carey when he draws a final play up from three from the guy who's been struggling, who's supposed to be the best shooter on the team, but has been struggling the most from three. Um, So he, he won't give up confidence on him. So I don't think it's the answer to go um with Ian Martinez starting, but you're right that he, he should be playing a lot of those minutes off the bench. No doubt. And look, he has to have confidence in him too, because there's not many other options on the roster. I think Willard mentioned that a couple of days ago before that Indiana game. Um, so definitely something interesting to keep in mind there. Um, they're going to need him. I mean, we, we talk about it every week, but they, they will need Don Carey to come through at one point or another. You can only last so long um, against good teams uh, without shooting the rock. Um, well, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the last, the last thing from this game that just was a little bit of a takeaway was the turnovers. I mean, Maryland did a great job of limiting its turnovers. They only had five and then they forced a bunch. Indiana had 12 turnovers and Maryland's been pressing but that's not really causing turnovers as much. They're doing a really good job pressing, but that kind of takes the other team out of a rhythm. Um, It speeds them up a little bit, but when they do get into the half-court setting, it's kind of messing them up. There's way less time on the shot clock. They don't have as much time to get their offensive sets. It kind of just confuses them, and, and Maryland's doing a good job with that with its press. It's not ne- necessarily designed to force turnovers, but even in the half-court, Maryland's doing a great job of forcing turnovers, and, and they're getting transition points out of it. No doubt. And look, it's just not only turnovers, assists, the turnover ratio has been positive. I think every game in these last four or five, um, like you said, the press not designed to necessarily force turnovers. It's doing a good job of it. I think Jameer Young is doing a much better job getting in passing lanes and, and being the defensive player that Kevin Willard thinks he's going to be. He had two or how many steals last night? Two steals last night. Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, Juju and Ian Martinez each had a steal. 12 turnovers for Indiana. I mean, it's it's you know I, I don't think it's ever going to be anything that's perfect in terms of look you're, you're going to press the whole game you're going to go fall back on defense you're going to force 20 turnovers a night I don't think that's ever going to happen but I think defensively especially at home and 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 like we said all these things relate to each other if you get off the fast starts and you're able to press it kind of just changes the whole complexion of how both your offense and defense is going to look for the rest of the game and they need to bring that intensity defensively Kevin Willard was a little worried about that intensity traveling on the road um, or not worried about it, but he thinks that's what has bitten him in the past a little bit. Um, you need to bring that defensive intensity. You need to bring that early shot making on the road. And then that kind of gives you your recipe um, for what's been so successful during the stretch. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was also the Wisconsin game and the Nebraska game. I mean, the Nebraska game was kind of a dud. I mean, Maryland kind of started out slow. They didn't play their best basketball, but Nebraska is, is I think right now the worst team in the big 10 they, they they kind of were competing early on in the Big Ten play, winning a few games. Then a couple of their best players went down with injuries for the season. They're they're obviously a, have been a bad team in the Big Ten for a while, but Maryland started off slow, but ended up getting 
what was it, a 20-point victory against Nebraska? A 19-point victory against Nebraska. Not a lot of takeaways from that game, but Maryland also played Wisconsin um, in this last week. And that was that was probably Maryland's most balanced scoring attack of these three games. Don, uh, Jameer Young finished with 22. Julian Reese had 14. Akeem Hart, 13. Dante Scott, uh, 14. Another poor game from Don Carey, who's over 5 from the floor, finished with two points. But the rest of the guys, it was really balanced scoring. And Maryland shot of 43% from three. So if, if Maryland shoots 43% from three, 56% from the field, and Wisconsin shot 40% from the field, it's great recipe for success at home. Maryland just felt like the better team this entire way, using its its great home court advantage. Was there really any takeaways from this game a week ago? Wisconsin, uh, I think, like you said, it goes back to our points about over-reliance on threes and everything else that we were kind of on way earlier than this. Um, you shoot 43% from three, that's great. You're only taking 14 threes, so you're taking, yep. you're taking good shots. You're making them count. Um, I think one thing um, – maybe with that Nebraska game was just the whole assist thing. I mean, what they have 10 assists on the first oh, 10 yeah. buckets there. Um, so sharing the wealth in that game, Wisconsin. Um, oh, I, I should say, I said it was Wisconsin was the most balanced scoring attack, but all, Nebraska was the game where yeah. all five or not all five starters, but five out of six players or five, excuse me, five players were in double figures. And Julian Reese also had eight. That was the game Patrick Million had 10. And like you said, that was due to 16 assists, which was tied for the season high. Yeah, and look, sharing the wealth against Nebraska, against Wisconsin, taking smart shots, controlling that whole game. I mean, the offense was electric in that game. What they, they, The four of them combined for 63. Uh, Reese, Young, Hart, Scott, they scored 1.28 points for possession, which is scorching hot. I mean, they controlled both games from start to finish against Wisconsin and Nebraska kind of set the tone nicely for that Indiana game, which is, which Indiana is a much better team than either of those teams um, they played earlier, but just a picture perfect homestand, all things considered. It, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't say enough about what they did well and kind of showing different things that they did so well in, in three different games. It was, it was remarkable. And and I think, yeah, I mean, you have to be really impressed with, with everything. Hand up. I said, Maryland was going to go one and two in that stretch. And they completely shocked me. I think what I think you said two and one. You didn't know where it was going to come from, but yeah, I I I two and one. I think I once they beat um, Wisconsin, which I predicted a victory there. Once they beat Nebraska, I thought they were going to win that game as well. I think it was between Wisconsin and Indiana they were going to lose one of them. But once they won those two games, and I saw the way the Terps were playing, I I didn't think there was a chance they were going to. Yeah, I I, I underestimated the student section and the home crowd and and how they can feed off that with some of their big runs. I underestimated, um, you know, I underestimated their defensive game plans against good bigs. Like you can see it against Zach Eady, even in a game they lost, it was still a good game plan. Um, that was executed pretty well. But and then they did against Hunter Dickinson, but to do it against Wisconsin and and um Indiana and Trace Jackson Davis, the consistency with their defensive game plan and intensity, that's what's really impressed me. And the other thing is I didn't think that if they I thought if they shot the ball poorly, this team had no shot given how they can kind of over rely on threes at times. Um and if they're shooting the ball poorly, then I didn't see how there was gonna be a way that they were gonna especially not Indiana. That was the game I definitely thought they were gonna lose. Um, but they showed that they can shoot the ball poorly, but with great defense, great defensive game plan, um, and still attacking the basket and adjusting as the game goes on, that they, they can beat anybody in this conference. Yeah, it's it's finding different ways to win, and and look, we'll count them out for certain standpoints, like you said, they can't shoot from three one night, or 
or whether it be, you know, Juju's going to be in foul trouble one night or they won't be able to handle Zach Eady one night. All this team has done since we'll go since the Michigan game on January 19th. We'll throw that Purdue game in there because Maryland gave themselves a very good chance to win that game. Those five games, Maryland has played some really high quality winning yeah. basketball, especially that's, I mean, that second half against Purdue defensively might have been the rest defensive half of all of them. So yeah. it, it was, um, these this last five game stretch, it seems like this team is is back to where it was. Maybe not perfectly from an offensive explosion standpoint from that some of those games in that eight no start, but it, it, this team's on the right path. There's there's no doubt about that right now. Yeah, that definitely. I mean, they really are playing some great basketball. When you look at the Big Ten, and now we'll go a little bit big picture, look ahead. We look at the Big Ten. I said it earlier, but the standings are so cluttered. I mean, Purdue is almost definitely going to win the Big Ten regular season title. Commanding um, lead right now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're 10-1. But then when, when after that, you know, you have Illinois, who Maryland beat earlier this season. That's the only time that they're going to play all year. They're 7-4. and four. You have Northwestern, who has Maryland has at home. They're 6-4. and four. You have Rutgers, who Maryland lost to. They're not going to play again, 6-4. and four. And then you have Iowa and Maryland and Indiana Mich- and Michigan State, all 6-5. and five. Um, Maryland beat Indiana. They lost to Iowa. And they have Michigan State coming up in the next in the next week here. So, you know, Maryland has an opportunity to kind of separate itself and potentially earn a top four seed, which would get itself a double bye in the Big Ten tournament and automatically be in the quarterfinals. Where do you kind of see this this Maryland team finishing with just how how cluttered and close these standings are where it's really going to come down to the last game? Yeah, I, I think just given these standings gymnastics right now, I'd be a fool to predict where they finish in the standings. Cause I think there's going to be a tie that decides the double buy. There's just right now a four, four way tie in, in fifth place right now. Um, it, it's, it's bonkers. It, it's, it's a bonkers league. I don't think it's necessarily as top heavy as it was in years past. I think that's been proven with the AP poll and, and with computer numbers as well, but the computer numbers are also saying, look, this league is still really deep. It's still really hard to win on the road. Um, but I, I think this team is – I don't know if they'll get it. This team's going to put itself in a position in the final few games of the season where it can obtain a double bye. I really I really do think this team is playing at a level. I think they're going to beat Minnesota handedly on, on Saturday. Um, Michigan State, that that next Tuesday game, we'll see about that one. Right now, Ken Palm's got Michigan State by two. And then you got Penn State at home, another crack at Purdue. Then you get Nebraska again, then Minnesota again, then Northwestern at home, and you end with two straight road games, which it very well could come down to against Ohio State and Penn State. This schedule has opened up. We've been talking about it since, you know, that tough stretch. It's like, eh, if they can just get through it with this record, the schedule really opens up here. Yeah, and they did it, and home. they did it. And and it's it's off to a really good start. We'll see. I, I, I don't think I can predict a spot in the standings right now. I, right, I just but think so, it, okay, it's so way too con- complex. I think – I think let's predict the be, schedule. They will be comfortably in the tournament. I, I Oh I, yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Let's predict the schedule then though, with nine games left. Um I mean we talked about it, how it's how easy it really is with um they'll play Minnesota twice, one on the road, one on home, they'll play at Nebraska, they'll play Penn State twice, one on the road at one at home, they'll play Northwestern at home. They do play at Michigan State, they do play Purdue again, even though it's at home. Um, and they, they do play Ohio State, who they beat at home, but they'll play them on the road this time. With nine games left, what do you see the record after these nine games? 
Yeah, Ken Palm's got it at 11 and 9. I'm going to go with that. That's kind of been the number I've been eyeing. Um, I don't think it's going to happen exactly how it does happen. I think there might be a surprise loss in there somewhere, and I think there's going to be a surprise win in there somewhere. Um, what was like, the surprise look, win? I'm, I'm just, just going to say it wins. now. The only I, surprise I, win would be at Michigan State or at Purdue. I, I I don't see any other really surprise win. Yeah, well, I'm saying one of those two, home against uh, Purdue. Yeah. I think I I – I don't know. I, I think they're going to win one of those two games. I'm not sure what which one it's going to be. I think Michigan State is really good. They're just a, they're just a steady team, but I think it's arguably a team that Maryland matches up well against. It's not a big dominant team. Um, Tyson Walker has really been carrying the load for them. Um, completely different player than last year at point guard, but I think Jameer Young easily has the uh, the guts there to match him and outplay him in, in East Lansing and potentially steal one there. I don't know. This team's a, a different team on the road, so I. Again, I until we see them actually go on the road, and I don't even think it's Saturday night because Minnesota is significantly worse than them. If they lose that one, there's going to be some problems. But until we see them in East Lansing next Tuesday and see the type of team they are on the road in in that regard, it, it, it'll be really interesting. I, I, but I, I do yeah. think they win either one of those Michigan State um, games, one of those Michigan State or Purdue games, um, and then I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know. I I, I I just don't think it's going to be chalk. I'm I'm not going to be the guy to predict chalk. I think they'll one way or another finish eleven and nine in conference and and find a yeah, way. I mean, in a weird way, it has been chalk. <laughs> yeah, it really has been chalk up to this point. I mean, they've won. They're favored against Wisconsin. They're favored against Indiana. They've won the games at home. They were favored where they were supposed to, and they've lost the games on the road. Like when when you look at six and five, and their six wins are at home, five wins are on the road. It kind of has been chalk. Um, I do think playing at Minnesota is huge for them because, like you said, they've struggled on the road, but they looked good in that second half against Purdue, which was the last time they were on the road. The problem is, so I don't think it's the whole road dynamic anymore of, of playing a full game on the road. The problem is the starts on the road. Like they can't get off to poor starts against Purdue. They were down big in that game and they came back and had a chance to win at the end, but they can't get off to bad starts on the road. And I don't know if that's like, like Willard said earlier in the year that they were a little rattled. I don't, I don't know exactly what that is. Maybe it's changing up technique of, of, of road tripping whatever it is but they really can't get in these big deficits on the road but i don't see any way where they lose to minnesota on the road even though it's a saturday 9 p.m game to the people who schedule these games what are, what are we doing i mean nobody Terrible. nobody's watching that game <laughs> saturday from minnesota's fan base or maryland's fan base saturday at 9 p.m whatever um but i i think that's a great opportunity for maryland to get their first road win i'd be shocked if they don't and it'll prep them because they're not coming back home, they're going right. They're they're going right to Michigan State, so it'll prep them to get that road win under the belt. It's kind of a elephant off your back. You can play a little looser um, at Michigan State, which could help them out. If I had to predict these next nine games, I would say five and five and four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think me. they'll lose to Purdue. Like I, I think yes, Maryland at home is a different animal. Purdue shot fourteen percent from three that game. I don't see them, and their plan was good, and it should be good again. Where you make Zach, you know, you have your plan against Zach Eady, you double him, but you make everyone else beat you, and they can't. But I don't see them shooting 14% from three. I think Purdue is is going to win that one at home. Um, I think Maryland beats uh, beats Penn State at home, loses them on the road. I think Maryland loses at Michigan State. And then I think they're going to lose at Ohio State, which is really tough because, you, like you said earlier, these last two games of the season against Ohio State and Penn State, both on the road, that's going to come down to... Those, the Maryland seeding in the Big Ten and the Big Ten tournament is going to come down to those last two games, and they're both really tough games on the road. 
um, especially because you beat Ohio State at home. And those are going to matter for those team seedings too. So I, I see five and four, which would put them at 11 and nine, right? Yeah, that would put them at 11 and nine. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's, and that's, what I, I, that's what I see happening. But I could see them also losing to Northwestern at home. I could see them yep. beating Penn State twice this season. I, like a lot, I, There's a lot of things that could happen. But with nine games left, um, that's kind of where I see it at. Yeah, five and four, like I said, I, I don't think I can go game by game just because I'm, I'm just going to differ in my mind too much. And I'm going to make these picks and be like, oh, wait, that was six and three. I, I just... There's just so many games left to predict. Over a month left of hoops. It, it's going to be awesome. Um, I just think my one my one pushback on on Purdue there is I agree with you. Purdue's going to have a much better offensive game. Only scored 58 points. They're a top five offensive team in the country. Back to the recipe. I don't think Maryland is also going to shoot 21 threes in that game. Um, it, it'd be well, another big problem. Yeah, I mean yes, but but they shot 22 last game against Indiana. And they shot 23 the game before that against Nebraska. And those are both home games. Yeah, we will see. I, I'm I'm not sure how pleased Willard was with that though. Um, yeah, I, I think I, mean, I think at this point, I know I know he was joking with you. At this point, he has to realize that it's not a. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just it's just not. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. Is there is there anything else, or is that it? Um, I think that's I think that's it. I'm I'm uh, really excited. I was, was going to go to a little quick Maryland football update, but yeah, yeah that's 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 exactly what I was going to say. Um. My last thing on on basketball is look, I'm excited for this roller coaster ride. This team has put itself in position to do things come March, make the NCAA tournament when that was in doubt. It from Tuesday, December sixth, when they lost to Wisconsin to that January fifteenth game when they lost to Iowa. I think everything changed in that second half of the Purdue game. Even though they lost, I think people's perception on the team changed a little bit back to their winning identity, even though they lost that game and, and they've proven it at home these last three. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they perform on the road. Um, and yeah, just, just excited for these, these next few weeks of hoops should be uh should be a great ride with this team. Who's certainly given us a lot of negatives to talk about in the past and, and a lot of positive right now. Yeah. I'm assuming, Ro- I'm assuming a healthy mix, a healthy mix of both to end the season. Posters put it, but really when you look around the big 10, other than Purdue, Almost every team has been an absolute roller coaster uh, for their fans and for the media and for everyone else um, this season. That's kind of just the nature of living in the Big Ten. Um, that's how it is. And, and with nine games to go, I'm sure it'll continue to be a roller coaster. But we'll talk all about it. But first, let's go a quick um, Maryland football update. Nicholas Harbor committed today. He was reportedly between Oregon, South Carolina, and Maryland. Maryland, the reports were that Maryland was kind of out of the mix by the end of it, but he ended up committing to South Carolina. Um, there is, you know, kind of a one-sided r- recruiting rivalry there in terms of South Carolina fans and and their coach, head coach Shane Beamer, kind of making comments towards Loxley, making comments towards Maryland, um, Maryland's state of recruiting as a whole. And and they won this one. You know, Maryland won the last one with Jay Shaw and Barham, but uh, obviously South Carolina won this one. And um, it's impressive they got them over. He got them over Oregon, or he got Nicholas Harbor. Shane Beamer got Nicholas Harbor to come there over Oregon. He deserves a lot of credit for that. You know, we don't know the exact discussions that were taking place, but presumably, you know, this is a hometown kid. This is a guy from the DMV area. Presumably, it it was about NIL money, and at that at this point, Maryland just simply can't compete no. with some of the the NIL money. 
um, that that they're set up by some of these boosters and the collectives that are set up at some of these SEC schools with with great football programs. Maryland just can't compete with that yet. I don't know if they ever will be able to. I don't, it might always hinder them in these recruiting battles, but that's pretty much what this came down to for a player of that caliber. Yeah, I mean, and and Loxley has pulled this magic on signing day. He did it in the in December with Neo Avery from Ole Miss, flipping him. Um, he obviously did it with Rakim Jarrett, um, who committed to LSU and then last second went to Maryland. And he had a very impactful three-year career here. Um, it's not going to happen with Nick Harbor. You know, it is what it is. Maryland is certainly at an advantage in NIL compared to, you know, Oregon, who's that Nike school and South Carolina, who's got the SEC money. Obviously, we don't know the specifics there. That's just, I think, a general and, and pretty, you know, agreed upon assumption. Um, but We'll see. I think the NIL situation from what we're hearing is improving day by day, month by month, year by year. Um, And I think Maryland will eventually find itself in a position where it's not a problem. But I think right now, Mike Loxley is kind of he can do all he can and and work his magic all he wants. Um, But sometimes push just comes to shove with 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 the paycheck and and good for Nick Harbour for, for getting his money. I know the South Carolina fans are certainly going to rub that one in yeah. to the Maryland taking their victory lap reason, they're taking but... their victory lap i mean as they should loxley said line them up coach you have to yeah but it. that was it was it was a response to, to shane beamer oh absolutely that that's why i said it's a... who's the pettiest guy in college football by the that's way. that's what i said it's a one-sided robbery i mean south carolina has come into the dmv coming to maryland's recruiting zone and and started talking um smack so so that's a one-sided robbery they created so yeah i i agree it was shane beamer that started it and and the south carolina contingent that started it but I just want to say it does the fact that Maryland was even in consideration does speak um, to how effective and great a recruiter Loxley is. Um, and we don't know how much they were in consideration exactly, but you know, we know Loxley was taking calls with um, with uh, Nick Harbour as, as soon as a couple days ago, or as recent as a couple days ago, maybe even more recent than that. So it just speaks to the fact that he was still answering those calls from Loxley, just how respected Loxley is. Um, uh, in this area, but really across the country and all over the East Coast as a recruiter. Um, and he he deserves credit for that, even though he didn't win this battle. No, definitely not. And I think funny moment we can share um, from last night of the basketball game, Michael Oxley becoming a super fan of sorts. Um, he's at every game yeah, as, as, he, as he should be. Um, he, he well, he's been everywhere. Super Bowl yeah. or NFC Championship. I mean, he was he was he was in Mobile, Alabama yesterday yeah, to morning. the Senior Bowl. Had had to hop on the PJ to get to uh, Xfinity for that for tip off against Indiana. Yeah, and and shout out a couple players at the Senior Bowl, um, where I should be right now. But Jacorian Bennett, Chad Ryland, um, Jalen Duncan. Duncan. Am I and missing anybody? That's it. And then uh, Spencer Anderson and Jacob Copeland over at the Shrine Bowl. Yeah. Um, been seeing been seeing good reviews from from all those guys. So, yeah, so practice are taking place this week, and honestly, it starts the, like the NFL draft. They say the draft starts in Mobile. It really does. It's such an important weekend. Um, and that game will be on Saturday. But yeah, you can finish finish the story. Yeah. yeah. So Loxley walks over to the media section. He uh, kind of very sarcastically chirps, um, "We get Nick Harbor, like yeah. uh, some some something along those lines." Correct if I'm if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. No, it was, um, it was yeah, no, that's what it was. It was he's just the first time he came over to the me section all those football games. I was just dapping everyone up and we're like, it was like, what is it about? Like, are we getting Nick Harbor tomorrow? Like, <laughs> everyone just started laughing. Yeah, and I think I think that kind of uh, I think at that point it was kind of. Yeah, and I'm sure from, it was. That, that kind of made me think that okay, maybe maybe he's cooking something up, like he's laughing about it, but obviously that was not the case. No, definitely not. And I think, and I think, oh, 
We got an Allstate ad in the background there. All right, that, that's that's us wrapping up. <laughs> They're telling us to end. Sorry, sorry about that. I was I was just trying to pull up my story uh, from earlier. The last uh, signing day news: um, Michael Harris coming to Maryland, uh, four-star linebacker from Florida to wrap up the class. Four four stars. If you're Maryland, you take that. Um, his twin brother going to UCF, yeah. kid from Florida, Under Armour All-American. Um, another big ad there. He'll develop behind Jay Sean Barham, Caleb Wheatland, and a uh, a good linebacker room that Maryland is building. Um, I think Finage Gote may be coming back as well for next year. Um, if I'm reading, if I uh, remember that report correctly. Um, but Locks is doing good things despite despite the Nick Harbor news, um, despite maybe. You know, not even not getting both twins. Um, the program's heading in the right direction. Don't want to talk about it too much. We'll we'll obviously do some draft talk as it gets closer, and maybe even a little spring football there as well. Um, but good good conversation to have right now, just given given today's news and and everything that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that that's the show, everybody. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week talking more Maryland men's basketball. Full. Be at Minnesota, then at Michigan State. We'll see if they can improve on the road. And we'll talk to Maryland women's basketball next week. They have a huge game this week against um, Iowa and Caitlin Clark, one of the best shows in the entire country. Uh, So we'll talk about that next week, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.